We've been making our way through Luke, and this particular set of passages aren't back-to-back. I started a part of this one just to finish a message a couple weeks ago, and then I skipped over to, we're up to the second passage you'll hear today, but they actually go together because they're both about Peter, all right? So last week we preached on a passage that was in between the first one you're going to hear and this one because they're both about Simon Peter. I want to read them. I want to let the word of God land on your heart and your spirit as it would. And then we're going to talk through a little bit about who Peter is, about why I'm titling the message today, I am Simon Peter. But I do that collectively. You're going to see why. We are, each one of us individually, we are Simon Peter. All right? He is the epitome of everything that you are, everything that Kobe is, everything that Miss Kathy is, everything that Olivia is, everything that Mr. Jim is. He is the the mirror of how we work and struggle in the Bible and as a follower of Jesus. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter 22. We'll be in 31 through um, 34, and then we'll be in 54 through 62, okay? And again, I wanna read straight through it, let you digest that a little bit, and then we'll talk, okay? Here's how it goes. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. We're gonna focus a lot on this verse. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I hinted a few weeks ago that when you have turned back has to imply that there was a turning away. It says when, not if. It says when you turn back. So underneath there is an implication that there's going to be a turning away. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. You know, raises the sword, lifts the flag. I'm on team Jesus. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, you know, and I, I struggle with this because it's like, man, when, when somebody's high, you want to lift them up higher, right? You want to you push them forward when the encouragement needs to come. He's like, oh, Peter, I need to let you know something. Today, today, in the next 24 hours, you're not going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. All right. And then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And one of the, I I may have preached on these five words as many times as I have any other five words in the Bible. So listen close. Peter followed at a, now we make, that was the jump. And some were there who had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together. So Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight and she looked closely at him. And she said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. 
he said. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you, you're one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. He's from Galilee as well. But Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. I promise you, I promise you, the phrase, my heart fell into my shoes, my heart hit the floor, right there. The apex of the shock and the awe of a broken, fractured, surprised heart. The Lord turned, <laughs> the Lord turned and looked right at him. I mean, I do not. <laughs> the largest I told you so in history without ever saying a word? Peter remembered the words he had spoken before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside. And he wept bitterly. Simon Benjonah. Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, the fisherman, Simon, the burly, strong, literally redneck Galilean, known fisherman for their, for their smell, for their stature, for their work ethic. They would be known for their calloused hands. They would be known for their leathered, tanned skin. They would have been known for their strength. They would have been known for their courage, but for their brashness. They lived in a world where life was difficult and it was hard and they grew up by the sea and they were used to uh, storms and struggles and trials and pulling of the nets. Every movie you've ever seen about fishermen and about pirates and just just the people who work and labor. This is Simon Peter, one of the first called with James and with John, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They were the ordinary. They were the brash. And Jesus says, Let's go. And without question, they drop their nets and they follow this Galilean. Peter would have been the oldest. Peter would have been the oldest of them, maybe 19 to 22 years old. All right. The disciples could have been as young as 13 or 14, up to as old as 22-ish. And Peter would have been the oldest. But it also made him the spokesman, okay? One of the things that I learned this week that I didn't realize, and it comes out in the passage that we read, is that Peter, when, Peter speaks more times, you see more words from Peter than all of the other 11 combined. In the scripture, there's more of Peter's words than all of the other disciples combined. 
And we take that as because G, uh, Peter was an outspoken individual, right? And that is probably true. Even funnier that the largest speaker, do you know what Simon means in the Greek? One who listens. <laughs> One who listens. All right? Not so much, right? But because Peter is the leader of the group, a lot of times if you look back and think about what might have been going on, Peter is speaking for the group. He is the spokesperson, the exemplar of the 11, all right? He's a manifestation of who they all are embodied for the scriptures, for the purpose of the scriptures. So when they're all sitting around, it's not just that Peter was an arrogant son of a gun and James and John wanted to know who was going to sit on the right hand of God. It was simply that they were all talking about it and Peter was going to step up and ask, right? They were all ready to defend Jesus, but Peter was going to be the first to wield his sword, all right? They were all like, do you want to get out? Do you want to get out? And Peter's like, I'll take the first step onto the water. Peter is the embodiment of the feelings and the emotions of the disciples as a whole. That's very interesting to know because of how the phrase happens when we go back to the first word that we will read. Okay, it's going to come back to this verse. That's important, all right? But Peter is also not just exemplar of all of the disciples in the scripture. He is exemplar of all of those who follow Jesus today. He is the rise and fall of our integrity, the rise and fall of our faith, the rise and fall of our Christianity. One day, we are holding our swords ready to die for Jesus. The next day, Jesus is saying, get behind Satan. One day, God is yelling, son of Bear Jonah. That could not have come from anywhere. And this is one of the greatest exaltations ever. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, that answer couldn't have come from anywhere but God above. Wasn't even your words, Peter. You've gotten to a place where you are such, you have such a connection and such an understanding that God actually spoke through you. This happens before this moment. God is already making you his mouthpiece. Guess who would preach the first sermon at Pentecost? Guess who would preach the first sermon where thousands upon thousands of people would come to know the Lord? Peter. Guess who would be the cornerstone, Cephas, rock, the rock of the church. But that rock rose to camp, edge, revival, great Sunday type heights. And he fell to the lowest, shameful, most embarrassing moments within 24 hours. God can speak through you, Pete, to I know you think that you'd give your life and your money and your time for me, but in less than 12 hours, you're going to screw this up thrice. No way, Jose. Mm, well. I'm Peter. I'm, I'm, I'm Peter. Life lived knowing who Jesus was, you know, going to church for 48 years and nine months, right? You know, was hearing the word of God through mom's belly button before I could hear the word of God. Uh, you know, uh, every Sunday school class, every, you know, 
been there, done that, got the t-shirt, all the festivals, all the weekends, all the camps, you know, hey, finally God's going to decide to use a little scrawny dude and he's going to sing a little and he's going to act a little and he's going to speak a little and then all of a sudden he's going to preach a little and so on and so forth and then lots of opportunities and then stupidity and then lots of opportunities and more stupidity, plan a church, lose a marriage, get called to a church, not a church he was anything like anymore. God does a restorative work in his life and in the life of the church. I am Peter. You are Peter trying to make your way through, totally wondering what the next thing is, experiencing God in ways you never thought you could, and then turning around and going, nah, not this part of my life, God. It's okay if I deny you to a little girl. Nobody's going to know that. It's okay if I deny you in my sex life. Nobody's going to know that. It's okay if I deny you to that guy. He's from a different country. It's okay if I deny you with my finances. Nobody, nobody sees my checkbook. We pick and choose the places where we're not going to let God be God. You are Peter. And so am I. Simon. Simon. This is good. Satan has asked to sift, and this version does it right. The verse says sift you as wheat, but the you is plural. So he calls Simon by name, but he's not actually just talking to Simon. Simon will be the example that is set. He says, Satan has asked to sift you. Here's what I want to say. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is a part of the Trinity. The Trinity is the Godhead three in one. So Jesus is God. And God is now speaking about Satan. And he says, Satan has asked. I love it. We see Satan as powerful, and you should. If you think he's not, you are absolutely mistaken, and you will fall, and you will fall hard. Satan is powerful, but there is not multiple powerful things in the universe. It is not two superpowers battling for supremacy. There is one superpower and one powerful dude that has to ask permission from the other. At every turn, ask Job, remember? I've, seek, I've sought out the world and I, I see that, that everybody's going to give up on you. What about Job? Well, Job's got it made. He's got all the kids, all the wives, all the farms, all the animals. Fine, take it all away. He still won't deny me. All gone. And then Satan comes back like a little whiny toddler. Yeah, I lost the bet, but you didn't let me touch him. There's not two superpowers. There is God and everything else. And Satan has asked. Jesus says, I've been asked for permission to sift you. What is the sifting? You drop everything in the, the, the sieve and you shake it. And the stuff that's not worth it falls through. And the stuff that stays in is what is kept. It's the testing. It's the, it's the trials. 
Blessed are you when you face what? Trials of many kinds. Well, if God were really loving, he wouldn't let me go through trials. If God were really loving, he wouldn't let Satan do that to me. If God were really loving, if you were really strong, it wouldn't matter. If you stopped relying on your strength and relied on his, it wouldn't matter. God never said, I am going to give you the power and you are going to defeat Satan. He said, I will defeat him. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, but not greater is me that is in me. We start relying on our own power, we will fall. And if we turn to those around us who want us to rely on our own power, you're gonna end up like Job's three friends and Jesus is gonna flex on you. God is going to have a throwdown. If you haven't read Job, that's exactly what happens. The friends come in and start making worldly comments about what Job ought to do while Job's scratching and cutting himself with pottery in the middle of an ash pit. That's A-S-H, in case anybody was wondering. And Bildad and his buddies come in and start telling him what to do. And God finally says, I've had enough of this starts talking about leviathans and starts talking about behemoths and starts talking about his power and the wind and he's like, rah, you know. That's, Satan has nothing over God. But there's gotta be a sifting, why? Because beyond the sifting is everything that God promised. Beyond the sifting is that which can make things happen. I can't use the lukewarm. The lukewarm drive more away than they bring in. I can't use the halfway. Halfway will never be all the way. I need you to choose cold or hot, hot or not. Make the call. Satan has asked to sift you. I didn't ask, he did. But I'm going to allow it because on the other end of it is everything that I need to happen because I'm in control. Once Peter was sifted, God was going to sit with him. After he'd failed, do you know what God did? He slapped him. He said, you're never gonna amount to anything and he walked away. No, he didn't. He showed up on the seashore and he said, come here, big boy. You don't have to fish out there. I got fish right here. I don't even need to go out there. I just think fish and there's fish. Let's talk. Do you love me? You know I do. Hmm. Let me ask you again. Do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Let me ask you a third time. Do you love me? I said I did. Hey, 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 hey. I know and you know, but I needed to know that you know. And now you'll remember that when I say you're gonna deny, you're gonna deny. But now when I say you're gonna be mine, you're gonna be mine. What's about to happen is you're gonna change the world. And within two or three chapters, Peter is the rock on which the church you sit in today began. The failure became one of the fathers of our faith. The sifted became the shepherd. Why does Jesus allow us and why does he leave us? He doesn't. I want you to know what's going on while you're being sifted. But I prayed for you, Simon. 
but I went to the Father on your behalf, Simon. I was never far away, Simon. Your faith may not fail. The reason you don't fall through, the reason you don't get sifted through is if you are faithful to me. It's almost like the sifting has a faith-shaped hole in it. All right, or not, you know, if you have faith, you don't fall through. That's what makes you the right shape not to fall through. I have prayed for you that you keep the faith, run the race, keep the faith, press on toward the goal to win the prize, no matter what headwinds come against you. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. If you have gone through the fire and you come out of the fire, it's always encouraging to other people. Anybody in the room, always good to know somebody's been there when you're there, somebody's gone ahead of you. Anybody? Anybody think, you know what I want as I'm going through this nightmare? I don't want anybody to ever have to go through this. And no, you're like, can I find somebody else who's been through a divorce? Can I find somebody else who's lost a child? Can I find somebody else who needs an emergency? I'm telling you, I got, it was funny right before this sermon. Uh, the, I, I can tell them this. I know they won't care. The Whitmores, I get a, I get a message from the Whitmores. It's like, Satan must be trying to do something today. God must be going to do something big. He's trying to work us out because we had a flat tire on the way to church. And I wrote back, Hi, I'm sorry about that. I'm at the emergency emergency room, 10 after 10. You think Satan was trying today? Not today, bub. You don't, you don't have that much authority. You can draw us away. You can do, you can make things happen. God can allow that stuff to happen. But my faith, your faith, our faith cannot be shaken. And when it is not, Jesus will do his part. Jesus didn't ask to be sifted until what? He allowed himself to be sifted. I will not ask you to sacrifice unless I'm willing to sacrifice. I will not call you to die unless I'm willing to die. I will not ask you to lay down your life unless I am willing to lay down my life. And I realize, whoa, that that's not what you want. But what I am certain of is I go through it so you won't have to. Jesus is willing to do, not to ask you to die, but to die in your place. That's what your God does. I want to jump here. If you've ever had a, 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 a son or a daughter and um, I'm, I'm not going to get into how people parent here. But if you've ever really caught your child in a situation where you know they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing, and they know they were doing something that they shouldn't have been doing, and your eyes meet one of my favorite and least favorite parts of parenting all in the same time is that look in their eyes where they, they're welling up and you don't have to punish them because the punishment is already happening, right? 
inside their heart is shattering because they're trying to decide between some kind of lie, right? About not doing it and the disappointment that has occurred because no matter what they say about you, they absolutely love and adore you and don't want to disappoint you. And that nightmare is going on in their little minds and in their little hearts and in their little spirits. And 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 they're, if, 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 if they weren't strong or if they are, they're just this bitter weeping. And some of you have had that with Jesus. Some of you've had that with your parents. Some of you've had that with your children. I mean, I'm not going to go into detail, but I, I, I do remember. I remember vividly. I can tell you where I was, what I did, and why I was sitting on the middle of the bed in my parents' bedroom. Pulled me into their bedroom. And I mean, this didn't happen all the time. It happened once. Pulled me into their bed. Do y'all know about this? Y'all remember this? Pulled, nope, they don't even remember. I do. I wept bitterly. And that night when I went to youth group and I thought everybody knew what had happened, I went bitterlier. But my moral compass at that time, at that time, was wound so tight that they sat me down on that bed and they said, can you tell me what happened? And they named an evening and I was like, yes. You know what happened? I'm gonna tell you exactly what happened. I was playing truth or dare on the back of the church van on the way home from an event and I kissed a girl. I kissed a girl and I liked it. Her name was Lavina. True story. I saw her at my 20th reunion. I was like, I got a story for you. I remember everything about that kiss. Everything. I felt that kiss for a half an hour. I was 12. She has no idea. She was 13. All of this is 100% true. We're laughing about it now, but I thought I was going to hell. No, I did. I did. I was so encompassed in what was right and what was wrong that that is what got me. Oh, other kids had done things and I was worried about their salvation too. I hadn't done those things. But I was a part and it was the church van. I mean, that's what we're riding to heaven in. I Listen. You know this is true because you knew me like four or five years after that. You, does anybody know what I'm talking about when you're so there and you do something wrong and it's just like, but Peter didn't have to look at Frida. Peter had to look right at God. Come on now. Can you imagine, you know, the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, sitting you down on the bed? <laughs> what up, dude? Let's talk a little bit about that rooster. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. That bitter weeping tells us something that Jesus knew. Yes, he failed. 
Yes, it was horrifying. Yes, we wish it hadn't happened. But Jesus knew something. When you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. Prior to his failure, Jesus commissioned him for what would be. He would fail, but he would be the protector and the provider of the flock. Interesting, right? What did he ask him? You love me? Feed my, who feeds the sheep? What is a shepherd? An undeserving individual who's called to care. Welcome to Peter. And he asked him three times and it hurt. Man, it hurt. But in that moment, they locked eyes again. And the last time Jesus went, It was no longer a question. It was a reality. I know. You know. You have been sifted and we're still sitting here together. Now feed my sheep. And he sent out a powerful prophet of God that would cause things to happen that would deliver, listen, he would deliver literally divine revelation. It was him who looked at both Ananias and Sapphira and said, your life will be demanded of you. And they fell and died. You stand up, the power of God. And he stood up. I will preach and the people will come. He was a fisherman, but he was God's fisherman. Are you a banker? Are you a carpenter? Are you a mother? Are you a father? Have you survived the sifting? Because God wants to use you and he can. God wants to make you and he can. God wants to change you and he can. you got to get out of the boat. You got to get out of what's comfortable. You got to swim to the shore. And you got to sit with him. And it won't be easy. But it will be magnificent. Once you have. Miracles are coming. I wish I could tell you something different, but I have to give you all the story. Miracles and martyrs. Oh, he died. Upside down, according to history. On a cross, according to history. But for nearly 38 years, he lived, walked, talked, breathed and made miracles happen in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm in. I'm in for that. But we have to be sifted. But there is a Savior. Let's pray.
Oh, there are some who would choose the sifting. There are some who would run from the sifting and there are some who will never allow you to sift. But God, <laughs> it only took 12. It only took 12. And life-changing, powerful things happened. God, help us understand that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that all those who rise against us will fall. Help us to understand that you have already claimed the victory. Help us to understand that the battle belongs to the Lord. Help us to understand that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Help us to understand that Christ wins the victory and we are ambassadors for Christ. And in him, we are more than conquerors. God, do something powerful in our people. Do something powerful in every Simon Peter in this room. In Jesus' name, and amen.